Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the Colorado Hunting Hub Podcast, where we cover hunting in the West, but mostly hunting in the destination state of Colorado. You'll find information that will help you plan, prepare, and motivate you for your hunt, but also keep you updated on happenings in the Western hunting world. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colorado Hunting Hub. It is mid-season, let's say. Uh, archery seasons are... Um, mostly done i guess there's there's not necessarily all truth to that but uh my archery season is nope i got another archery hunt never mind i don't know what i'm talking about we're mid-season and things are hitting the ground it's been a good season for me so far i've been a good season for uh this person i'm going to introduce here in just a little bit and uh still got some rifle seasons to go looks like tomorrow is opening for second rifle season here in Colorado but by the time this airs that'll be underway if not rolling or over so um want to just thank you all again for the financial support if you did uh just to to reach out and, and offer some of your hard-earned money to help bring a clear audio bring more clear audio to you bring uh more mobile recording and everything for you and uh it it your money went to good use got a nice hard case for everything got this awesome zoom PodTrack p4 thing that i use i am not tech savvy but i've got this figured out got a new mic been doing a couple of in-persons over the phone interviews that have been awesome not having to use internet service so big thank you for that we really really appreciate it uh also just a quick shout out to some of those companies again that have been supporting us just through some giveaways through some some uh, uh discount codes that sort of thing so i first is on x and i don't understand how i could hunt anymore the way i do without using that so if you don't have on x you're behind the game even if you're way over east where you don't have any public land or much of it i would still be using that for different things and getting permission that makes it makes that possible as you're heading into these colder months you're going to need a decent sleeping bag a little warmer uh tent that holds a snow load big agnes is where you need to do that been working with that company a little bit doing some blogging for them and they are awesome to work with. They want to tap into the hunting industry or hunting community, and they are already, but they really want to let hunters know that they have some good gear that that benefits them. I have strictly all Big Agnes gear for my camp and stuff, anywhere from the stools to tent, sleeping bag, bag liner, and 
that's an area that I had been lacking for years and I've been digging it. Another big thank you to Wilderness Athlete. I'm trying a few new products. They had a probiotic for your dog and my dog, his poops ain't that regular sometimes <laughs> just because he likes to, to get into stuff. So my golden is trying their, their probiotic to see how that helps them. But also got him some of the new dog. Uh, my dog's got some joint issues and uh, not trying the probiotic and the new dog at the same time, trying to stagger that. But uh, So I'm excited to try that new dog. But also with the coupon code, Hunting Hub, uh, I got 25% off and bought my vitamins and joint health. That uh, was about the same as any other grocery store or whatever. So you might as well get the good stuff and go with WA. Uh, also, if you want a really nice hat, I wear a hat every single day and I have been going with branded bills. They have quality hats, they're comfortable and with coupon code HuntingHub20, you can get 20% off. So big thanks to all of them and you listeners. Make sure you reach out if you need anything or you have comments, questions, concerns, or you have a uh, episode suggestion gotten a few and I got a long list that I'm still working through so if I haven't played your episode or recorded it yet it's just working on the right person to do it or I am uh it's just on the list anyway trying to to, to prioritize certain certain episodes other over others but please reach out with with that but in this episode we are chatting with Andrea and she is now a part of the hunting hub team we uh, t- spoke yesterday, which would be October 22nd, and kind of nailed down a couple of those those partnership details, and she is now a part of the team. So uh, cool to have a female on the team, cool to have a experienced hunting guide, and and uh, she's got a, got a long list of accolades behind her as, as far as what she uh, has done in her life in the, in the hunting world and is, is doing some blogging and different things there. Photographer, uh, just getting to know her. We met randomly through selling some antlers. I think she saw my sign at, at uh, Glenwood Spring Outdoors and uh, called me. I bought some antlers from her. And then we started talking about podcasting. So a uh, cool thing happened there just to, to help this podcast grow and give you guys even more content continuously. So she's going to be a big help with that. And we're now a part of the team. Now we are a team because before it was just me. So this interview is with her, uh, the very first one of absolute many. And uh, thanks for, for riding along with figuring out how these these changes all all happen so hopefully you enjoy that uh and we'll get to our interview dre i want to thank you for coming on to the podcast and sharing with us some of your successes some of your stories uh we just briefly met a few months ago a month ago or two months ago i don't even know uh when you had some antlers to sell and we started talking and shared some ideas and thought that Heck, we need to get you on, and I've uh, uh, been following your photography Instagram stuff, seeing seeing some elk hit the ground, which is kind of cool. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I want you first to introduce yourself and tell us about who you are. Awesome. Uh, thanks. First off, thanks for having me on the podcast today, Clint. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Washington State and came out here quite a bit with my dad in the spring when we would shed hunt. And I would come out in the fall and I would tag along and I would hunt with my brothers and decided that I wanted to move here. So I moved here in spring of 2012 and basically jumped right into the seasonal work. I started working at Whitewater Rafting LLC in uh, Glenwood Springs and I was a photographer for them. So I would take pictures of the guests rafting down the river, going through all the whitewater, super fun, splashy photos. I was able to just ride my bike through the canyon all day. And I really loved that. I really kind of, I think that's what kind of pulled me into the whole rafting lifestyle was being able to capture it through a camera. I've been a photographer my whole life. So that's kind of one of my, my life is kind of through a lens. So that's kind of like what my Instagram page is about. Um, So yeah, started with them. And then I met my boss from the mountain up at Snowmass. I worked at a barbecue restaurant 
up there for seven winners. And so one of my coworkers from the rafting company was my manager up at the mountain. And so that got me working for Skiko. And so then I started on this role of seasonal work. And I was like, you know, I like this. You work really hard for a few months and then you've got a couple months off to play. And hunting season fell right in between the off season. Rafting season got done in August and hunting or uh, sorry, the winter season didn't start typically until like beginning of December. So that opened up my hunting season. Um, Yeah. All those folks that do those seasonal things, you can't just mm -hmm. be a raft guide. You can't just be a fly fishing guide. There's got to be something else. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. You got all those niches you can follow into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I met, met my good friend, Patrick and Bill. It was, um, we were, I was in downtown Glenwood. I was at a bar with my friend. We were celebrating, my first solo hunt, solo pack out that year, I shot a monster mule deer that was in 2006. So yeah, we went out for a drink. We, it was, you know, I was on this riding this high cause this was, I've been hunting my whole life, but to go out and to find this deer and I kept hunting this spot consistently. I knew there were some big bucks in there and to be able to go in there and get it done all by myself was, was one of the, the highlights of my life that kind of was a big moment for me when I was like, all right, I need to, like, I know what I'm doing. Like these dreams and ideas of becoming a hunting guide, like they're very doable, you know? Um, and so we were out, we were, we were having a beer celebrating and I met my good, my two good friends, Bill and Pat, and they worked for, um, Bear Creek Outfitting, which I guided for, for three years. And so I met them and we were just swapping hunting stories because they had mentioned they were on break from I think it was between like second and third rifle and so like you should come work for us and I was like like what really (laughs) they're like yeah and I'm like oh it's that easy and they're like yeah just you know like clearly you know what you're doing we'll talk to our boss we'll put a good word in for you and um I went I didn't start working for Bear Creek until the following year Um, but that's kind of how I got my foot into the whole guiding business so what uh what exactly does guiding season look like for you what seasons or uh, what species kind of what's that look like? For sure. Yeah. I'm just going to revert back to the past um, three years when I was guiding with Bear Creek this year, I'm, I'm taking a break from guiding as I kind of wanted to focus on hunting for myself after taking a few years off. Um, So at Bear Creek, basically we were, we were hunting or I'm sorry, we were guiding archery season. So you would have a five day hunt. And you would have hunters come in and you would hunt for five days and then you would have like a day break. Uh, so basically for that whole month of September, we had clients coming in every every week or so. And um, we would take them out, guide them. And then first, second, third and rifle, same thing. We would sell five day hunts. And so the hunters would come in. Uh, we have a main lodge and there was i think about seven different cabins so that all the guests they would sleep in the cabins and the lodge was the main area for everyone to hang out um they provided the meals and so that was kind of the area where everyone would hang out you know the football would be playing and a pool table and a little area where we could glass the mountains out in front of the lodge um so that was kind of the the gist of what the guiding season for Bear Creek was like. What is your favorite part of guiding? What's something that mm. uh, does it for you with that? Uh, I, can I share a story on that? I've yeah. got a, a great story. Um, one of my good friends came out to hunt with me, and um, I had I had known him for a little while, but not not for a long time. And so like, I feel like a lot of times you really get to know your clients when you're out and you're spending an entire day, um, in the mountains, right? Like you're not, or your, or your hunting buddies and friends, you learn more about (laughs) people you've known your your whole life. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so my friend, John, he was out, um, and his girlfriend had passed away. So he had been, uh, married for many years, divorced, and then like fell completely in love. And, um, when he was out hunting with me, it had been like a year anniversary from when his uh, girlfriend had passed away. She, it was a sudden death. She was, she lived very healthy. You know, she went to workout classes. She ate good. She wasn't a big drinker. She took care of herself, but just one day 
she she was just done. She died. And so she had written John a letter and she had told him she had given when she gave him the letter that, you know, someday when you're ready to read this, like I wrote this for you. And it just so happened that when we were out hunting for the five days, he was feeling a little sick and he needed to take a day off. And so I was like, you know, if you want, we can go to town, we can get a fishing license, we can go fish for a little bit. Um, he's like, yeah, I think I just need to take the day. And so I met up with him later and basically what happened is he went out and he, he was like, this was the time I need to read this letter. So he pulled out the letter from his uh, girlfriend and read it and just had like this huge moment of realization in life. You know, he's like, I'm getting older. I've got kids, you know, like it's really hard to explain to somebody exactly like, cause I fully don't understand what he was, the true feelings he was going through, but basically he had this moment of like huge realization that he doesn't have a lot of time left to live due to um, a sickness that he has. And his girlfriend that had passed had written him this letter and it had really just kind of made him stop and look at the big picture. And he's like, I just want to love everyone a lot more. And, you know, kind of just kind of shifted his perspective and it was a big, a big moment for him. And that's when I like realized that guiding isn't about, you know, killing the animal. It's not about giving, of course, that's part of it, you know, um, but it's a much bigger picture when I'm a guide and I'm out there guiding people. It's I'm giving them the space to be able to connect with whatever they're trying to connect with. You know, some people are coming from very, very busy lives um, and they don't have the freedom like I do and you do and other people where we are constantly out in nature. They don't have that connection. You know, if they're living in the city, it's not as easy for them. And so a lot of time these clients are coming out and they're just needing that space. And as a guide, I'm providing that for them and to be able to witness and be a part of so many different people's journey is really, really rewarding. It's really, really amazing to be able to be a part of that. It's very uh, special. And I feel very grateful to be able to give those people that space, you know, to be oh, able yeah. to just wow take that's, a minute. Yeah. That's take a I, minute and just, uh, you know, to be out there in nature. Like I always say it, that nature is my sanctuary. It's my church. Um, yeah. That, that's an incredible story. <laughs> not something I was expecting. Very, <laughs> yeah, a lot very of heartfelt. people don't expect that, you know, a lot of people don't, don't realize it because, you know, but people that's, think that, you know, the guide life is getting people an elf or getting them a deer and that's what it's about. But that's part of it. But there's a much bigger picture to it for sure. Yeah. And I think that reflects a lot more on just us as hunters and what we get to do and what's going on in our heads as we're out there. There's mm -hmm. a lot of, there's, you're not listening to music. You're not walking around listening to a podcast. You're not walking around uh, necessarily even talking to people. I do so many solo right. hunts that you yeah. just have so much time to yourself and the thinking and where that gets you with your path in life and and what you're mm -hmm. thinking about, where you're going to go, yeah. or the, how many decisions are made just in the field out hunting that have nothing to do with hunting are unreal. <laughs> just thinking about exactly. what mm -hmm. you're going to do with your life and mm -hmm. how you're going to live it. I think that, that says a lot right there, uh, mm -hmm. your story, that uh, um, hunting is, is definitely more than just fill and tags. So very 100%. cool. Very yeah. cool. Um, and then one more guiding question for you. Absolutely. I uh, had to pick up something at Walmart this morning. And I started counting and lost I, the number of rigs because we got second season coming up uh, this weekend. I saw that post. Oh my <laughs> gosh! My video didn't even really do anything justice, but it was like there's rigs all over. Uh, and let it begin. I know the the Orange Army is here, <laughs> and <laughs> it is West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, <laughs> Texas, uh -huh. Texas, of course. And, yeah, and Michigan. Yeah, the insane <laughs> number of people coming and getting their license and and all that. So, uh, yeah. most of them probably not having a guide, um, but some mm -hmm. of them do. And so, give us some advice for all those folks. I've got listeners all over the country that I know, 
uh, are going to be looking for a guide or uh, considering a guide. So give some advice to them as to uh, help them have a good experience with their guide. With their guide? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I think import- most importantly is just trusting your guide. I've had a few clients that <laughs> one in particular, I could tell that he wasn't fond of the idea that he had a female guide um, and just kind of questioned every bit of my decisions like I made every day. And probably, and, probably could, you could out hike him. Um, 100%. <laughs> ten, ten, yeah. 10 to one. <laughs> <laughs> His wife shot an elk. She got an elk, you know, and they came together. And um, I think, you know, it's just important to trust your guide. We know what we're doing. Um, this is a lifestyle that we choose. We love we love to do this, you know. It's not like the the most glamorous, easy job. You're you're working long hours. It's a lot of customer service involved. And I think just if you come out and you do a hunt and you've got a guide, just trust their judgment. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh I they're gonna have a better time, you know? Yeah. They're gonna have a much better time if they're not constantly being like, Well, this is how I do it. Oh, this is how I've seen other people do it. You know, we all kind of guide and hunt a little bit differently. And I, I actually really realized that this year when I was hunting with my friend, Logan, that a lot of us have different styles of hunting, you know, but whether or not we're successful is a different thing. Uh, but yeah, ultimately just trust your guide and what they're doing. Don't question it. I have never gone on a guided hunt, never had anybody guide me in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did go on a float trip with, uh, guide friend of mine and Mm -hmm. I've been fly fishing since middle school. I feel like I know what I'm doing, but I know that I am not the caliber caliber that we have in Western Colorado. Mm -hmm. So I put all that aside and said, I want to learn today. I really, really want to learn. And I learned more on one day on the Colorado than all eight years of living in Colorado here to combine. Mm -hmm. I learned so much learning and I know a crap ton of knots. I'm good with my knots. I'm good with that sort of thing. Learned a new knot, learned a new technique, learned how to explain and explain what I'm doing and under justify, uh, playing the drift and, and, uh, doing some different <coughs> things with my fly line that, that I didn't really know if it was a correct way before or not. So very right. cool to, to learn something, even though mm-hmm. I feel proficient in, uh, you're going to learn from somebody. Yeah. So yeah, we, we always have room to improve, right? Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I think yeah. going into just going into a hunt with the um, with the openness in your mind to just be willing to learn, and you're going to make mistakes for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's how you're going to walk away as a better hunter, a better fisher. So you shot a good bull this year. Let's tell a story. Yeah. Tell tell me what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I took the entire month of September off to hunt. Perfect. Um, yeah, just doing it for myself. Like I said this year and. So I was on about week three of hunting. First week doesn't necessarily count. I did a backcountry hunt with my friend, and uh, he had a tag for a mule deer and elk. So I was just kind of tagging along. Um, and so I hunted hard for a couple weeks, passed up a lot of small bulls, passed up a lot of cows. I had a lot of opportunities, but I knew I had the entire month to hunt. And I've only shot one other elk with my bow, but it was super small. And so I was like, I want to go for something a little bit bigger and mature this year and kind of just set my intentions towards that. Um, And I was going to be happy with walking away without shooting a bull, you know, even if I passed up on those other ones. Um, And so, yeah, my family came out. They joined me at camp. I was basically just living at hunting camp. I had an outfitter tent set up, had all my food. My little dog Remy was with little camp dog. And so they showed up and we, we camped, we got up the next day and we ended up driving. We drove probably a half hour from camp down the road to the section of BLM where you actually have to cross the river. And so access from that point, if you think about it, most people, especially all those out of state or hunters, they don't want to cross a river that's knee, knee to waist deep, you know, especially with their pack on and all their gear. And so we brought down, um, a couple pair of waders. It was my dad, my brother, my two sisters and I. And so we only had two pairs of waders. So it was kind of a process in the morning, but we got across, we got up. It was basically these lodgepole pines. It was really cool. I've never hunted terrain like that. Very open, 
um, you could see for like 300 yards, you know? And so we got in there, we got up on the, the first bench and my sister, she's picked up calling, which I think is awesome. She's taking the initiative to learn. And so that day I left my bugle behind. I left, I didn't even pull up my Onyx map. I said, today I'm tagging along as a hunter. I'm not doing any responsibilities. <laughs> I'm not leading the way. I'm not going to do any calling. And my sister was okay with that because she shot a big six by six opening morning. So her work was done. Oh, wow. And so I thought it was pretty great. She wanted to call. She wanted to try and call us in a bowl. And so her and my dad, basically, they were the callers. So my family has, and I think other people do this as well, but we have found the system to work really well to have a couple callers back behind, let's say, 60, 70 yards from the, from the hunter, from the shooters. And so my brother, Bradley, my sister, Abby, and myself, we all had tags. And then my dad and my sister were doing the calling. So we get up to the first bench and my sister bugles. We listen. We don't hear anything, you know, so we move in a little bit more. She calls again. And sure enough, we get two responses. They're pretty far away. And so we're like, all right, well, that's the direction we need to head towards. So we just start slowly making our way up. There's elk sign everywhere. And so um, with five of us, it's <laughs> it, was, it was a crew cruising through a lot of eyes, um, a lot of ears, which is good. I find that's obviously the more people you have hunting with you, the more, the more ears you have sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we were hiking in and he responded to one of her calls and he was a lot closer. So we're like, all right, let's move in about another hundred yards and let's get set up. And so that's what we did. My sister, she blew a challenging bugle and sure enough, he challenged right back. And my brother, my sister and I, we kind of set up, we moved pretty quickly. And I think what happened was he was in a little bit closer than we realized. Um, Cause once we got set up, he just kind of shut up and my, he actually was about 40 yards from my brother, but he, my brother could just see this bull's face and his antlers. And so we kind of just gave it a couple minutes. He moved back to his cows and kind of started pushing them away towards their bedding area. So we, we sped it up and we got in, we got close and, my brother actually took the bugle for my sister and blew this, you know, challenging, mean, old, big bull bugle. And sure enough, that herd bull, he screamed right back and they came, we could hear them like they were, they were close. They came running. And so I ran up the hill. I was like, I know, I, I just had this feeling as like, I know where these elk are coming in. So I ran up the hill and got set up and I was just right next to this little meadow and as soon as I set up, I look up and I see the biggest bull I have ever seen in my life. I've seen a lot of elk, but this guy, he's poking his head out into the meadow and I, I don't have a shot. So I'm sitting there being like, all right, three more steps. He's just three more steps, 40 yards. I'm going to smoke him, right? Like, this is what you've been working for. You've been putting in your time. And of course, like I am shaking like a leaf because this, <laughs> this bull is a monster, Yeah, monster bull. And I'm hearing these sticks break kind of back to my right. And I'm kind of thinking, Oh, that must just be dad back there. Cause what they were doing was my dad was doing like the tree raking. He was raking trees, acting like a bull. And my sister, she was on the bugle. So she would be doing the bugling. And so I thought it was my dad kind of back behind me, raking trees, acting like an elk, but I'm watching this monster bull in front of me and he's licking his lips and he's looking like he's curious. And so I look over and the bull that I shot, he was 20 yards away walking right towards me. And so oh I was like, gosh. well, this obviously is my opportunity. You know, like I'm obviously going to shoot this guy right here because sometimes you only get that one opportunity, you know. And so yeah, he came in and he stopped 20 yards right behind like three trees and I was pulled back. And so I held my bow probably for a good minute and a half. And... Uh, I was just waiting for him to step out. So I'm like, as soon as I like release, he's going to step out and I'm going to have to pull back again and he's going to see me. So just like sitting there, just being like, come on, step out, step out. So sure enough, he steps out and he starts walking right towards me. Um, he's at about 10 yards and I just like cow called and he stopped, smoked him. I shot a little low. Um, I saw the arrow go in and it was sticking out a little bit, but I knew it was a vital shot, but it was probably only a one long shot. And so, Knocked an arrow real quick. He ran down the hill and I was able to get up on the ridge. 
and I looked down and he was about 40 yards. I didn't have my range finder this whole time. And so it was really, it was, it was good for me to be able to do that. And like, like, okay, that's 40 yards. Okay. You know, obviously the 10 yard shot was pretty obvious, but, um, yeah, he was just down the, down the ridge. He was licking his wound. And so he was quartered away and he was leaning, you know, to the right, licking his wound and it exposed his whole left side. It opened up all those vitals, you know? And so I was like, that's gotta be 40. I put my 40 back, just aimed back a little bit and, and smoked him and went through the guts and right into the, right into the lungs. Um, and I, I just knew right away, like, all right, he's, he's not going anywhere. So I watched, I literally watched him walk about 50 yards. He was standing there, he was kind of swaying and then he bedded down and he was dead within 15 minutes. It was the first time I've ever actually been able to watch an elk walk off and die and know that like, there's so much uncertainty a lot oh of times gosh, yes. elk, like that's like the hardest part is being like okay i think you know i hit him good i saw the arrow hit right you follow the blood trail and you follow and there's always that like pit in your stomach of like did it actually all come together and so it felt so good to just be sitting right there and i was just looking at him through my binoculars he was about 100 yards down the hill and i was like okay he hasn't moved in 40 minutes like you know he's toast yeah yeah uh, that's awesome. What happened was uh, my brother and my two sisters, they went back and they tried to chase that herd bull. They tried to call him in. They got super close. Um, but I think in the end, I think he winded them and they ran off. So I just hung out and let them go chase that elk. And my dad and I sat there and we just, we didn't want to push it. We wanted to be certain that he was dead. So we just waited for them and they came back. And so after a couple hours, we went on down and he was laying there dead. He was dead pretty much the whole time. But what when about- it's that in the morning i think i shot him at like eight o'clock in the morning so it was early we had all day we had five people to pack out an elk which was nice that doesn't happen all the time yeah well that's awesome that you got to share that with your your family and Mm -hmm. uh the other episode i'm recording later today is on nasty pack outs (laughs) and so yeah your pack out may not have been super fun uh but you had five yeah. people <laughs> we had five people it was it was a breeze the funnest part was crossing the river at the end of it you know i thought that was pretty cool i was like i need to start doing more wild things like this <laughs> you know <laughs> those, cross rivers to get elk that's such a great tactic though in finding good elk mm-hmm. spots is exactly. looking for those things people don't want to cross i love going on these short nasty nasty hikes that are straight mm-hmm. up something stupid Yep. And it's not the obvious entry point into some public mm-hmm. land. It's not it's not the most convenient and yep. might get you wet, might might uh mm-hmm. burn your legs a little bit, but those yep. those lead you to some some cool spots. Mm-hmm. So I discovered that in turkey season as well. I found a little honey hole for myself for turkey season and it's the same thing. It's a mile and a half hike in and you've got to go straight up yeah this bridge that's super steep and then you've got to drop back down into the bottom to get to them and i had there was like 10 toms in there the entire time that's awesome i always i always kind of figure out how many times i want to go up and down how many ridges do i want to go up (laughs) and down and up and down uh to to find how bad do i want it exactly so uh i heard something in there that i thought was a great segue into our elk tactics and that was that you had multiple callers set up behind you. Uh, I was mm-hmm. pretty solo on most of my hunts this year. And I know I would have been successful within the first day and a half if I had yeah. somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, five encounters with elk in the first day and a half. And I either was winded or I just, mm-hmm. most of them were hung up and I can't call cause I'm giving away my position and all that sort of stuff. So, right. That was a couple of those things is, well, I screwed up the wind or I screwed up something or whatever it was, or I just could not get them to come any closer to, or present a shot. So even though they're 30 yards away, I'm stuck <laughs> and, it, and right. it's exactly. th- thick stuff. I'm stuck here. What do I do? And they just kind of mosey off in that early season, part of the season, they just, they're not that interested <laughs> as they may yeah. be a week mm-hmm. later. Uh, but yeah, so, so let's, uh, let's talk some situations and just a little, 
segment of what worked, what didn't work. So mm-hmm. what, um, give us a scenario and I don't care if that's, that's archery or rifle. Uh, I know we got rifle seasons coming up, but, uh, we can refer back to this, this episode before next archery season too. So what, yeah. uh, give us a scenario, what worked, what didn't work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was interesting. I hunted a lot of different areas this year. I was hunting with just as many people as I could. I wanted to like gain as many different perspectives and styles of different hunters and, Every area that I went to was different. The elk were bugling in one area, and then another area they were silent. We had elk running through camp, you know, four nights in a row, and they were bugling like crazy, and we would get in there during the day, and they were bugling like crazy. And then all of a sudden they just shut up, and I think that had to do with the hunting pressure. Um, But what we have found to work really well is a lot of times in that right before the rut is kicking in and those – bulls are responding to your calls, but they're not necessarily coming in. Um, what I've found, and actually we did it this year. I hunted with my friend out in Hayden, Colorado, and it was the same thing. We had probably a herd of 200 elk. It was insane. There was probably five different bulls in there and the herd bull, he was screaming all day long, but you have 200 pairs of eyes watching you. So you can't just sneak in there. And you don't pull um, that bull away from the cows. <laughs> and you're not going to pull them away. And so what we did is we tried to hunt them in the afternoon. We we found out like, okay, like we can't sneak in. There's too many elk. Like we didn't realize how many elk there were until we tried to sneak in. We ended up busting a few. They kind of ran off, but they came right back in. I think that bull was just trying to herd them up. And so what we did was we waited until the evening. They were bedded and we kind of snuck into the area of where they were bedded and got within a hundred yards, we could see the bull bedded down. He was kind of down in this ravine. And so I told my friend, I was like, what we're going to do is we're just going to wait. We're not going to call. He's going to get up. He's going to start feeding. We can watch him for up to 200 yards. And so we sat there and sure enough, he got up, he was raking trees. He was bugling. He was chasing his cows around. And as soon as he started pushing his cows out towards the field to feed for the evening and to go get water, we got right on their tail and I started, started bugling. He was challenging me. I was challenging him back. And what we started doing was when I would call, John would sneak in, he would start walking closer to the bull. And every time this bull was distracted, he would move in. We were able, we started out, there was probably 600 yards between us and the elk and John got up to six feet away from this bull. Oh my gosh. Believe I like, I was staying way back behind. I was raking trees. I was bugling. And so this bull, every time I bugled, he would bugle back and he was distracted just enough that John could kind of sneak through there. And he got within six feet of this bull, but this bull was staring right at him. So he didn't have a shot. Uh, the bull kind of ran off. He stopped at 70 yards and John shot and he missed. Um, but right. that was, yeah. So like on a... <laughs> stocking a bull and i think that that applies really well here to these rifle seasons that mm-hmm. uh we're still 70 degrees today mm-hmm. uh so so definitely not going to be tons of, well there's some weather coming in this weekend so that'll be good for for the start of the season but say we still got some warm weather coming in for second season maybe third season and they bed early and they're bedded all day so maybe the only mm-hmm. tactic is to to sneak in what what exactly besides that distraction were you guys doing? How were, how was he break that down a little bit more as to his sneaking approach to not get busted, to not mm-hmm. get seen before six feet and uh, mm-hmm. to make that, that I would say that's an, a definitely a successful stock, whether he stuck one or not, that's mm-hmm. a successful stock. He just got too close. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He kind of, what happened was he came over the ridge and the bull was right there. So every time the bull would respond back to me, John would go in because the bull's bugling. He's not going to be able to hear him. He's not necessarily looking around, paying attention while the bull was, you know, following, chasing the cows around, kind of sniffing them out. He would move in. So this tactic probably doesn't always work, but where we were, it was this big uh, sage flat basically with like these little bunches of shrubs and so John just kind of put his bow up in front of his face to help camouflage and when that bull was distracted he was able to use that time to sneak in a little bit closer if I wasn't hauling back behind 
that bull probably wouldn't be responding as much to the calls, you know, just kind of doing his thing. So, yeah. Uh, do you got a wind scenario where wind really, really played, played into, to the success for, or not? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, it happens all the time. A lot of times, you, you know, you wind them and, or they wind you and you don't even realize they're there. Um, but a lot of the times that we've been successful is you, you play that wind, right? My sister, she shot, um, monster bull. She only shoots big, big elk for some Yeah, that's not fair. Her two elk have just been monsters. Um, and so with this hunt, we, we just played the wind, right? We got up high and basically we just, we had to stay up high the entire time until, um, right before dark where we had to kind of come down and kind of get on the side of the elk because the thermals were changing. Um, and then we were able to call them in from basically from the side because now the thermals were going, were going down and he was kind of ahead of us. And so pulling him in from the side, really being in tune with that wind. And I'm constantly checking with my wind checker, you know? Yeah. All right. Is it going this way? Is it going that way? Um, I think that's probably one of the best habits I've gotten into in archery season is just constantly being in tune with that wind because it's insane how easily they'll they'll spook, you know. Oh yeah, I, I had a yeah. on that opening day or, or next day, whichever it was, had a uh, sat on a water hole and it was four o'clock, a little early, still pretty hot, and just sat there just waiting to hear something. Heard a bugle and was like, okay, I'm going to make a play on this guy. And got into, I don't know, 75 yards or so where they were at on, on this one hillside. Tried to figure out how am I going to make that approach. The thermals were good. And just those evening thermals uh, where they really start to swirl uh, screwed mm-hmm. me so many times. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. in my face or uh, at an angle almost the whole Mm -hmm. time and then i swear that bull that i was on never got to see never laid eyes on him but he was probably 30 yards away Mm -hmm. busted me without with in so quick a time that i swear he busted and then i felt that wind just on the the back of my neck just mm-hmm. as it starts going uphill is an evening hunt too. So I was like, man, that wind is starting to go up. <laughs> Why is it going yeah. up? It should mm-hmm. be going down. Exactly. <laughs> it's just because <laughs> Wrong way, wind. I know it's just, that was a cool little pocket. It's warm out. So those, those thermals are really going crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then the evening. So man, I got, I got a lesson this year for sure with wind and still have a lot of figuring out how to, how to predict and try and really play that out to to work a little better for me because, man, I'm tired of getting winded. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's something that we'll ever master. No. Um, you know, obviously it's something we'll be more in tuned with and we'll get better at. Um, but, I mean, we can't control the wind. So it's always going to be a factor. And that's one of the reasons why I love archery hunting is because it is so difficult. Like there are so many elements going against you yeah. that – you know, you've got to try and navigate through. And a lot of the times you fail. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, this year was the year for me on decoying and I had three different elk calls on me sounding like a herd. Mm-hmm. It worked. It re- worked really oh. well. You ever, you ever tried any, any things like that? I've got a story around that. You said you used a decoy. Yeah. Yeah. Decoy? Uh, three of them yeah. actually. Okay. And, it, it ended up working out just to to create a herd because we had that similar scenario of a hundred elk and trying to pull one off of that was not easy. We couldn't yeah. go chasing into where they're at, so setting up the the decoys to pull one of them satellites off. So mm-hmm. as they started heading toward bedding their bedding area, which was on some private we couldn't hunt, mm-hmm. uh, we. Uh, as they were moving, just started going nuts on cow calls, trying to gain mm-hmm. attention, split off, and it worked a couple days in a row. Uh, just couldn't make it happen until the one time. Split yeah. split one off, 
to the point where he could see those those cows like 400 yards away and then he just started coming and coming and coming and, and he was headed straight for those those decoys and with the noise we were making kind of matched what the what he was seeing and it was yeah. irresistible and it worked and the decoy and stuff had never worked for me before because you think like you were saying with your bull this year that they're closer than you realize <laughs> they're, mm-hmm. they always seem to be closer than you realize and yeah. i always set up a decoy and then when i'm using a decoy they're actually further than i realize <laughs> or they're headed in the wrong direction so i set it up yeah. and i'm and i move forward because i'm hunting by myself and then mm-hmm. that decoy's back there what am i going to do go back and get it and then so, yeah. so it's always way behind there doing nothing and mm-hmm. this time it worked out but um cool uh give us a give us another scenario something that worked maybe with a hunter maybe one of your hunts either way um mm-hmm. rifle season or what you thinking yeah um i think for rifle season a big part so last year i've got a story of, with um a client so we just had a little bit of snow there was probably a couple inches of snow on the ground um uh, which is my favorite i love hunting and just a little bit of snow right um we cut these fresh tracks and they were going up this old logging road and then i noticed the tracks kind of cut off down to the right down into this thick aspen grove and it was just barely daylight um and so what we did is we just sat we went up the road a little bit because i knew those elk you know they're they're going to go bed down they're going to feed their way back up and so instead of trying to call or trying to sneak in following the tracks and being loud we just got right into the area where I had a good feeling they were going to come through. And so we sat and we listened and we could hear sticks breaking down below us. So I was like, well, they're obviously down there feeding their way up. So we just, we've got to wait here. If we go busting in there, you know, my client's like, well, can we go in there and try and get in on them? I'm like, we could, but we're going to bust them most likely. So we just be patient. And if we sit here, we know they're going to come through to bed. And sure enough, a cow comes out. She crosses the road, a couple calves, another cow, some more calves. And then sure enough, this bill, he stepped right out at 80 yards, um, perfectly broadside, uh, client shot. And unfortunately we never found that bull. I think he shot low and broke the leg. We followed the blood trail for a good ways. At 80 yards. yards. Yeah. (laughs) That's frustrating. Saying how strong these animals are and how fast their body is able to repair itself. But I cut his tracks the next day. They were, um, there, were, it was a three hoof elk, elk tracks with back with the herd. Um, but I mean, if he would have made a, a good shot, we would have been, we would have had an elk down. And so like for rifle season, what I really try and like to focus on is finding that area where, you know, they're going to be cut, traveling through to get to their bedding grounds, um, versus just kind of like running around the woods, spooking them, you know, trying to get into a spot where you know they're going to be traveling through and you have a good open shot that's a good tip because mm-hmm. i i don't feel like i can give anyone advice on rifle seasons i don't do it much yeah. <laughs> I, i'm much more yeah. interested in chasing deer during that time yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so so i've not ne- i haven't ever shot an elk second or third season and then i think yeah. i've only done it once <laughs> so i haven't yeah that's i think that sounds like a much better game plan than I had <laughs> if I were to do it. Um, this year, this year I really tapped into just like slowing things down. Um, there obviously are times where you need to be aggressive and you need to be moving. But if you are in, if you are hiking around and there's fresh elk sign around and you're not hearing them, just slow down, stop and listen get to a vantage point if you can, if you can, you know, and sit there for a half hour and just listen. And a lot of the times you're going to hear them. They're going to be talking, they're going to be moving. You're going to be able to get some idea of where they're at. And so this year I really tried to focus on that and it, it actually worked out quite a bit. And I learned a lot, just kind of slowing things down and listening and looking and trying to be in those areas where, you know, they're going to be traveling back and forth from. Yeah, that's good. Um, and speaking of wound loss from your client's lost bull, uh, did an episode on shooting straight with CPW and, uh, one of their guys that does a ton of shooting school related stuff. And he talked in that episode about wound loss. Those numbers are insane. 
mm-hmm. and they factor it in to the the their biology their counts and their license that they give out so we need to quit <laughs> i know a lot of that's out yeah. of our control but yeah as long as you're preparing as long as you're shooting as long as you can hit more than just a pie plate at 40 or 100 mm-hmm. or whatever it is uh yeah. we can maybe reduce some of those numbers but mm-hmm. it is it was absolutely astronomical hearing some of those numbers of wound loss <laughs> and <laughs> so hopefully um that message gets out to people and and realizing that yeah you need to be practicing your firearm shooting and practicing shooting a bow a little bit more so yeah and i, and I think when these you know these people are traveling with their bow or with their gun, always shoot your weapon before you get out in the field because things happen when you're, you're driving and you're transferring your equipment, things get bumped around. Um, and I think it's just smart to shoot a couple bullets, fling a few arrows, you know, before you yeah. head out. So that way, you know, you are dialed And that way. If a situation does happen where at 80 yards, you shoot the leg and not the vitals, did you bump your scope, you know, or was it the adrenaline, you know, that was going through you or what was it? So, right. Yeah. Uh, let's get, uh, another tactic, something that, uh, you thought about from a previous hunt. Let's get one more. And... Uh, yeah, let's see. Um, uh, I'm not great on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Anything <laughs> around, uh, and, water holes or sitting in and you said something about glass and glass and spots um i am not good at sitting in one spot uh for especially for archery season sitting mm-hmm. on water holes i'm just horrible at uh mm-hmm. but i did have one pretty sweet little spot that had a really nice water hole down on the bottom of in Northwest Colorado, it's pretty open in a lot of areas. So you've mm-hmm. got, uh, that dense Aspen timber on the North facing slopes and then South facing are wide open. So mm-hmm. we had that little pond down the bottom, pretty wide open, not really going to hit that until it's almost dark. Cause they don't want to, they don't want to move in there because they're, <laughs> they're vulnerable. So we found out that that last 10 minutes, those elk started moving off of this private down into uh, onto the public next to that pond and multiple nights we were able to get some opportunities and we had one night I had a it's five minutes left and the the trees behind me just are exploding mm-hmm. sticks breaking and stuff is coming a good size herd is coming and just sitting still like that and they don't have I'm not making a noise I'm not calling I'm not doing mm-hmm. nothing it's unreal yep how how they don't know you're there and as long as the wind is right they don't have a clue yeah i had these cows come in and i put all four pins on a cow all five pins and Mm -hmm. i don't know which pin i chose uh because it didn't matter but she had to been six feet away and shot her which was a maybe a big mistake because i shot her and this bull bugled that just sounded big and nasty and knowing what property that bull came off of knowing mm-hmm. that he had 50 cows with him that was a good bull <laughs> he yeah. was screaming out at, at his cows because they uh they were they were running back up the hill and he wanted them to go mm-hmm. down the water they didn't he didn't realize so one of them just got shot and there was something dangerous down there but mm-hmm. ended up getting the cow and it was great but uh missed an opportunity there and mm-hmm. I think it's happened one other time that in September, almost all the time, it's going to be a bull with them. <laughs> or even in that exactly. first first season, there's mm-hmm. a bull. I know I know that, mm-hmm. that many of us meat hunters are going to be like, I don't care, it's a cow. But it, it's pretty sweet to have a little bit of antler with, with your pack out. Exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the I've learned my lesson a couple of times to slow down on my trigger finger mm-hmm. and yeah. wait for that bull. Because because yeah. archery season, most of those tags are mm-hmm. over the counter. It's a you get to choose. It's a any bull or any any elk. So yeah, that's something I found is just uh, 
trying to be patient. Like you said, slowing down. I really like that tactic because I've I've worked on that so many times. I am in a rush doing everything mm-hmm. in my life. I am always yeah. in a rush. And yeah. even with my hunting, just seems like, oh, I got I got a day and a half. I got to go out. And mm-hmm. that's such rushed hunting that I'm not putting any thought into what I'm doing. And it, exactly. it's not, it, I might as well not be in the field. So mm-hmm. having some time this year to just know I've got seven days. I know I can just be out and do and think through things and do things the smartest way possible. That was mm-hmm. really beneficial to me just to slow down. Because I know yeah. we're getting all these folks from all over the country coming to hunt. And you may only have three, four days to make it happen. But I like that piece that you said there, just slowing down, thinking about what you're doing. You're going to be way more successful than traipsing through some woods and maybe getting lucky, bumping one out of a bed. But you just Mm -hmm. probably blew that area out and it's done. And they're not going to be in there. You got to go find them again. So um, some patience for sure. And that showed with your your client as well, being patient and (laughs) wait wait for him to cross. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, a lot of times – you know, we get so wrapped up in like, oh, the calls, the calls, the calls. I've called in several bulls by just raking trees. You know, yeah. they're not, they obviously respond to the bugle, but they're, you know, they're not wanting to leave those cows. And so there's been several times where it's like, all right, well, they're there and you just start raking a tree and they'll come running in. That happened with my brother. It was quite a few years ago. I think it was when I first moved here. It was probably one of my first tag along hunts when I moved here back in 2012. And it was this, it was a great bull and we had been working him all morning and he would respond, but he was constantly moving away and wasn't wanting to come in. So we got right into his bedroom. Luckily he didn't have a ton of cows with him. So you didn't have all the eyes. So we were able to get in close and we just started going to town. We started raking trees and he walked up, he was five yards from me because we just, we raked a tree. We sat down and we had lunch. We didn't make a noise, you know, yeah. we didn't do any cow calling. And sure enough, he came walking right on the trail and he was like five yards from me when my brother shot him. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And he didn't make a noise coming in. Mm-mm. Oh yeah. That busted me. Yeah. With, yeah. I, I pretty much all had, yeah. <laughs> had yeah. my pants down when that happened one time, <laughs> just raking a tree, raking a tree and just about to bend over, pick up my bow. And I look back and this narrow but beautiful six-point bull just busts out of there as I he just came in quiet I knew where yeah. he was headed and we called him back our direction mm-hmm. uh, it haunts me <laughs> just mm-hmm. realizing they're gonna come they can come in they're a giant animal and sometimes you can hear them from a couple hundred yards away or sometimes they come in and you can't hear them from 30 yeah. yards away and yeah. they're right on top of you yeah. exactly mm-hmm. well any other thoughts yeah. for for um, those folks hitting hitting the field this this month and next month for for rifle elk, anything there we can send them with? Yeah, um, you know I think just try and think outside of the box. I think a lot of these hunters are all going to these trailheads, and you know during archery season we tried to hunt several places, but there was ten guys racing in at the trailhead. You know, I, I think a lot of people are looking at the maps and they're like, oh, here's a good spot. Here's the benches. Here's this and that. But I think to, if you take a minute to think outside the box of like, OK, I know the elk are going to be here. There's also probably going to be a bunch of other hunters. So if I was an elk, where would I go if all of a sudden my living room was smelling funny because humans are sneaking through, you know? Exactly. So I think just trying to think outside the box of if you were an elk, where would you go to to get away from the humans? Nice. And I think in the long run too, that is also better because you don't have 10 hunters on top of each other. You're a little bit more spread out and you're most likely not going to bump into someone and have your, your hunt ruined. Right. Well, uh, we forgot to do one thing, uh, share, share where they can find you. Yeah. And to, to follow you to see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my Instagram is what's underscore your underscore wild. So once more, that's what's underscore your underscore wild. Um, I also have a blog and the link is in my bio on my Instagram. Um, I've been doing a bunch of blogging. My most recent one was about um, a friend who just got into hunting. She grew up in Chicago and didn't have any connection to hunters in her family, no history of hunters in her family. But um, 
decided that she wanted to take hunter safety and she wanted to provide her own meat. So she tagged along on a couple hunts with me this year. And I just posted that story a couple days ago. That's a good one. Um, so that's on my blog. The link is in my bio on my Instagram. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks for your time today. And yeah, thanks, Clint. Great chatting. Gl- glad we could talk a little bit about some actual elk tactics that was yeah. lacking in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, ho- hopefully the words all all made sense and they came together. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, we'll never figure these animals out completely, but all we can do is try and justify that we do. <laughs> Why we do it, right? Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Well, thank you. Yep. Have a great day. My ground is God's country.